saying no. Okay, okay, okay. Welcome back to the From the Fabricator podcast. I'm your host, Max Perlstein, and we are back for another fun-filled edition with three incredible guests. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, As always, this podcast is brought to you by My Glass Class and MyGlassClass.com. Check that out at the aforementioned MyGlassClass.com. 120 courses uh, 60 of them uh, or more in Spanish. This was developed by the National Glass Association by professionals in the industry. And so you know it is the best, a good vetted training apparatus, myglassclass.com. Get on that right away and check it out. Any questions, let me know. Uh, really, uh, before we get into the podcast, BEC was a huge success. Thank you to everyone who attended, everybody who took part. Uh, thrilled with it. Can't now wait till uh, BEC and GPAD next year in Nashville. But before that, we've got Glass Conference uh, Tacoma coming up, the NGA Glass Conference coming up in Tacoma this summer. And then, of course, the granddaddy of them all, the biggie, Glass Build America this fall in Atlanta. Look forward to seeing everybody there. You'll kind of hear a little bit about both of those things, especially Glass Build in the coming months. All right. So enough of me. I've got three great guests this month, Susan Stone, Trent Theory and Brandon Nicastro, uh, three interesting people who have all taken uh, some interesting paths to our industry, doing really good things and really, uh, you know, uh, impressive, impressive individuals. So let's get things started. We'll kick it off with Susan right here. All right, a gigantic thrill for me to uh, continue on on this podcast. I've got Susan Stone, the CEO of Ubiquitous Energy. You can find them online at ubiquitous.energy. Uh, great website. Check them out. And Susan was supposed to be one of our keynote speakers at BEC uh, a couple weeks ago. Unfortunately, uh, there was a bit of a storm of the century that came in and stopped her. So you get her on this podcast. So first off, Susan, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. I've been looking forward to it. I'm thrilled to have you. And and so there are a lot of people that were at BEC that were excited to hear from you in person because so many people have seen you, uh, you know, either in different media appearances or podcasts or TechCrunch or, you know, South by Southwest or where, you know, you, you're, you're out there. I mean, so this is awesome that I'm getting to talk to you because I'm like, you know, this is, this is big for me. So what happened? Is everything okay? It was like a big time storm that uh, snowed you in and did oh not allow gosh. you to get to Vegas. That's right. Climate change happened, Max. That's what happened. Um, We've just, we've been having, I mean, gosh, if anybody reads the news, you can't miss this, but you know, on the West coast, we've just been having this epic, not necessarily in a good way, but epic winter. Um, I'm up in the mountains. So for me, it's all been snow. I've, we've gotten, I think 50 feet of snow since December. Um, and in the Bay Area and Los Angeles, like, and, you know, the whole West Coast, coastal areas, it's been tons and tons of rain. So yes. it's been a little disruptive. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're okay. And 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 it was funny, because when, you know, there was a question on whether you're going to make it, I said, we can, this is this is not even a question. <laughs> Tell her to stay there, be safe, do not try to brave the elements to get to Vegas to be EC. So I'm glad everything's all right. And uh, I'm glad we could do this and catch up this way. You do. Yeah. And I appreciated that, that you were so kind to me and that hopefully the folks that were looking, seeing me got to see Kelly, uh, who filled in for me. And I heard a rumor that she did a terrific job. Kelly did a terrific job. And Kelly, Kelly had a couple of lines that then were threaded through the rest of the conference. So you know you've done a good job as a keynote speaker when people are parroting your lines for the next two days. So Kelly did a great uh-huh. job. 
I love it. And I'm not surprised that she yep, did a great she, job. She did a super job. So let's talk about you. You know, you, you have this unbelievable personality and you've come into our industry, the glass and glazing industry, uh, really on, on, a, on a great high because it's such an important need that you guys are bringing to the table. But let's talk about you. Where did you come from? Where'd you grow up? And how did you get to this point of joining all of us crazy folks in the glass world? Well, it's going to be a very long story, Max, but I'll try okay. to try to keep it short. Um, I grew up on the East Coast in the Washington, D.C. area. Okay. So kind of a funny little connection to Kelly, who we were just talking about, who's based in the D.C. area. Um, and I I just loved living there because I grew up as one of those kids who thought museums were free. That was a thing that we did all the time when I was right. growing up, right? You go to the Smithsonian, you go to like the Natural History Museum, and it's all free. And so I remember being so shocked when I went to New York for the first time. And I was like, wait, what? You pay for museums everywhere else? Like this was blew my mind. Right. Um, so I was very lucky to grow up uh, in our nation's capital. Uh, and from there, um, I went to Yale for my undergrad where I okay. studied economics uh, and then back to DC to Georgetown where I got an MBA in finance. So you'll kind of see my theme for a long time has been finance. Sure. Sure. Okay. And, and you, you know, obviously it's a great skill set to have now. How did you end up in the clean tech world? Uh, you know, cause that's a big yeah. jump. It is a big jump and mostly by accident. I mean, I've always been a person that loves being outside and doing things outside. That's, you know, if you are looking for me on any weekend day uh, outside the house, unless sure. it's storming, is typically a place to find me. Um, and so, you know, I've just always kind of had this underlying desire to take care of our environment. But I'll tell you, until I started investing in climate tech, so I'll back up and tell you, I was an investment banker, which if like, if anybody's considering investment banking, downsides, 100 hour weeks, upsides, you learn so much. I mean, it's yeah. like you compress 10 years into two. Uh, so I learned a ton. And then I switched over to being an investor. And so that's where I started investing in climate tech. Okay. Um, so call it like 2013, 2014 timeframe. So you know, about 10 years ago. And that is where I think I was just starting to internalize the, the urgency that I think so many people are feeling now. Um, and it was a it was a lonely time to feel that urgency of climate tech back yeah. 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, it was, there weren't that many of us. Uh, there wasn't a lot of capital for companies like, like Ubiquitous. I mean, I invested in Ubiquitous in 2013. Um, and so one of the things that we did when I was an investor working in that space was try to support companies like Ubiquitous that maybe couldn't find capital otherwise uh, because uh it, we tend to have long time frames uh frequently we're making stuff you know right. these aren't just software companies that vcs can see an easy hockey stick you know straight sure. up and right yeah. they take time they take capital they take you know kind of like the the stick to itiveness to make sure. a physical product um sure, sure. so yeah. i'm really proud that we invested early stage in in companies like ubiquitous and then I just kept on as an investor until about three and a half years ago um, when it was so clear at Ubiquitous that we had progressed the company and the technology to a place where it was mature and ready to be productized and commercialized. Uh, and our founder, Miles, who's now our CTO, was yep. our CEO at the moment. Uh, and it was just time for for somebody else to come in and work alongside him to to build up the what I think of as like the build a, build business and commercial side of 
business. Um, Perfect. So yeah, yeah, I told you it was going to be a long story. No, but... all, all, all good. And no, it don't make sense. And now, now it kind of all comes together because I didn't know, you know, from, you know, how you got from point A to point B. So now, now I do. And so that's helpful. And so I'm with Susan Stone, CEO of Ubiquitous Energy. Find them online at ubiquitous.energy is the website. And so now let's talk about Ubiquitous Energy and and a lot of buzz a couple of weeks ago at BEC about it, a lot of buzz in the marketplace about it because of uh, you know different different deals you've made. But there's people probably watching that have no idea what we're talking about. So can we give like a, a basic primer of what you and Ubiquitous Energy does? Yes, absolutely. Uh, for this audience, the simplest way to think of us is that we make a transparent coating that goes on window glass that makes energy. We make a solar coating that we we embed in window glass into a standard low E coating and turn that window, that IGU into a solar panel. Um, if you back up one step further, our core technology and really the invention that came out of MIT is this concept of making transparent solar. And so the way we do that is we don't harvest the visible light. It sounds so simple, right? If you just don't harvest visible light, you can right. see through the materials. And so uh, the reason I bring that up is because our first products are for windows because it seems it's just so obvious, right? Like right. you want to be able to see through your window. Sure. There's such an important part of the building envelope or the home uh, skin of the single family home that solar belongs there. Um, but when you start to imagine invisible solar, uh, it gets really fun to start thinking about where else could you put it. Uh, and we have quite a roadmap for the places that we can put it in the future. And, and so to to be clear with it, uh, no no pun intended, obviously, the the you know, most people are thinking solar panel. They're thinking the black, gray yeah. roof sort of scenario, or some that may have been in the industry back in the you know two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, you know, there was that you know different different organic solar that was out there that was red or green you know, and, and had different colors. This is clear. This is transparent. Yeah, this is clear. And I know this is an audio podcast, but if anyone can see me, I've got windows behind me. This is, these are producing energy. I mean, this is a photo, but this is our, uh, this is at Michigan State, one of our installations. And, and I think, look, that is not easy to do, Max. I think, well, not only is it a little bit challenging to make invisible transparent solar materials, but the process of engineering them so that they not only look like a low E coating, but they also perform like a low E coating and offer the same thermal benefits. That was a lot of engineering work that didn't just yeah. happen by accident. Um, and that was one of the things I'm really proud of that our team has been able to do because in my opinion, no one's going to install glass that doesn't look like traditional glass. I mean, Correct. we love the way glass looks. That's the reason we build with it. You can see through it and because it looks gorgeous. And we can't ask our customers or our builders or architects to compromise that. That yeah. kind of misses the point. And especially now with, with natural light is so crucial. You know, the studies have shown uh, about what it does for your health and welfare. You have to have it. You have to have natural light. And, and I think that's where you're right on top of it with this. Very nice. I yeah, I don't see humans starting to like live back in caves with no windows anymore. No way. Pandora's no. box is open. We realized we can build with glass and see. I have a window next to me. Can you stop tell? <laughs> we can see out the window. Uh, and the more glass, the more modern your building looks. I mean, that's just how we're wired. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's funny when when I went when when I started to work from home, I started to work from home long, long before the pandemic. It was in two thousand two. 
I started to work from home and my first office in my home was in my basement. And I thought it was the, thought it was the best place to do it. It was going to be quiet. Nobody was going to bother me. I'd be in the basement. It was horrendous. You know, you know, staring at those walls, you, you know, you're just, it was just so bad and there was no natural light coming in. It was cold. It was dank. And so it is just so funny. So I knew way back when that, that there, there was a need for natural light. So you guys have, have the angle here. You also mentioned your people, which are some of your people are absolutely fantastic. Many of them, everybody I've met has been fantastic. But, but the big question is why now is, is the timing right? You know, I, I mentioned earlier that it was tried a, a few years ago. I don't think the product was right, obviously. But why now? Why is now a great time for the transparent PV push that you guys are, are really leading the charge on? Yeah. Well, I think it's a it, no surprise. It's a combination of, you know, kind of the perfect storm of things happening at once. Uh, one of them, and, and probably the most important for us, is we're ready. I mean, that that kind of sounds so obvious, right? But from the moment of invention, and I mean, really mean invention, like our co-founders sitting around a lab at MIT talking about this and, you know, kind of, I wonder if we could going from that to product uh, in about 11 years is, is pretty fast. Um, yeah. And so we've gotten the technology to the point where it has what I like to think of as the trifecta. And I'm kind of stealing this from our friends at Anderson, because this is the way they describe the technology and they do it so beautifully. We have the aesthetics that are critical that we already talked about. We have the performance, and for me, that means both thermal efficiency and energy generation. So we can produce about, right now with our current production formula, we can produce about 50 watts per square meter of glass. And then the last piece, and this is the easy piece to gloss over if you're kind of behind us and still in the lab, is manufacturability. Right. Uh, and those three things were not easy to get all kind of nailed at once. Uh, we have them. And so that's that's part of the reason for us. I mean, we're ready. Like we're ready to to go into manufacturing. We're ready to really release this product into the wild, which is so exciting. So us being ready was a huge part of it. I think the industry is much more ready than the industry has been in the past. And that was part of why I was so disappointed to miss BEC because I wanted to be talking to Glazers. Um, yeah. Because these are the guys that are so critical to getting, I mean, obviously to getting the glass installed, but also to adoption. Sure. Uh, and so I see this, and I'm going to ask for your perspective here for a second to see if you agree, but I see this instead of, you know, no new products, don't, you know, don't want to take a risk on new stuff. I mean, that that's underlying a little bit, but I see an excitement and a hunger to turn the building envelope into something that can work for us instead of always being the kind of like, oh gosh, you know, here we got to deal with the architect wants more glass and how do we deal with the thermal efficiency and it's not as good as a wall, et cetera. Um, so curious if you're seeing the same thing. And then I have one more, one more. I'm usually in three, so I have one more. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I definitely agree. I think there's there's a good, uh, you know, climate for that right now. I think everybody is hungry for it. It does answer a lot of the questions that these guys and gals are getting, you know, and 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 so the Glazers, the Glazers aren't anti-innovation. Uh, they want that. They 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 want it. They want something that they can, you know, be comfortable with and work. And they want companies that will stand behind it. So I think that you know your feeling on this is exactly correct and i'll i'll tell you you know it would have been nice to have you there i know you couldn't make it and and so on but i will tell you what was fascinating to me was twice i had people that i i was stopping to say hello to and they had to say no 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 i've got a meeting with kelly or i got a meeting with dave from from ubiquitous and ran off on me and i'm like really <laughs> 
okay so it happened to me twice and so so there was there was a buzz there so you'd be very pleased with uh your folks were definitely working hard in your absence oh i, I have no doubt about because they're as excited about the product as i am uh and i mean i think look max i i think there is a very reasonable amount of risk aversion amongst glazers and really across the whole value chain in commercial real estate and i think you know, from, from the outside, especially, you know, you come from, we come from Silicon Valley and, it, you know, when you look in from the outside, it's easy to just say, oh, these guys don't like risk. There, there's a very good reason that folks want tried and true products, things that have been tested, things that are proven to be reliable and durable. I mean, you put glass up in a building and it should be there for decades. Yeah. That's, and so yeah. It, I find that all super, super reasonable. Um, and so that's part of why what we've done, and again, this is in this really intentional engineering, we're doing everything we can to make the product as same and so as or similar as we possibly can to what's already being installed. Yeah. We can't get everything exactly the same, but as close as we can get, uh, that's our mission. I love it. I, lo I love it. I love it. I'm with Susan Stone, CEO of Ubiquitous Energy. Uh, I know you're busy. I got a few more questions. And, and so I'm going to mix things up a little bit. I got a fun question for you. I'm very, very curious on this one. Uh, just because, you know, we, we've been really working hard on, on promoting women in the glass and glazing industry and, and there it's really taken off and I'm excited. I want it to keep growing. And so there's a lot of, uh, mentors and protege aspects going on, but for you, who are your role models? You know, who, who have you looked up to and, uh, either in the past or still looking up to now to kind of guide you, uh, in your day to day? Gosh, I think, uh, and luckily you previewed this question for me so that I'm not completely caught off guard. Um, right. But it was funny when I was thinking about this, and I'll tell you a little bit myself about myself. Like even as a kid, I've never, I'm never like a, a super fan of any one individual. Like you know when you grow, like kids growing up would have like posters of whoever the right. like, actors and stuff. That was never my thing, and I, I don't know why. It's just kind of how my brain's wired. So for me, instead of having like a person that I aspire to be like, I tend to look at, you know, kind of the, the people around me and people in public life. And there are certain aspects of, you okay. know, what that person does and the way right. they do it that I admire. Um, and so, you know, some of these are obvious, like who do you, who, who do you grow up admiring? I grew up admiring my mom and my grandmother. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were women who, did not follow the rules. Both my grandmothers actually did not follow the rules. My dad's mom was one of the first women to get a PhD from Columbia. Wow. It, when Columbia didn't really admit women, like she kind of snuck in because she went to Barnard and then, you know, snuck in and then got a, managed to get a PhD. Um, and, and so you, you kind of get a sense for, I, I come by accident from just a group of women who just kind of didn't follow the rules. Um, and so that, in a very nice and polite way, right? Because yeah, these yeah. women are generations in which, you know, you couldn't smash the, the walls down. You really sure. kind of had to- You had to work you know, through it. You had to work, work, work with what you had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that that aspect, Max, is a big part of it, is working with what you have. And, um, you know, I it, some of this is playing the game in order to succeed at it. Um, and, you know, yes, we try to break through barriers and we try to break rules when it makes sense. Um, but really that just thinking differently and thinking creatively um, from the women in kind of in my family uh, was an absolute uh, really big admirable trait for me. So 
that's one. Um, I, like I, I always talk about my husband as somebody that I really admire because he is like at his core, a person who doesn't believe in doing anything unless you do it really well. So like there's, he has, I don't think he's half-assed anything in his entire life. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I don't one, really either. I love it. One, one of my favorite lines is no half measures, no half measures. And so I, I, I love it. I love it. Very cool. Very cool. I, I like it. Great answer. Great answer. Thank you. Thank you. All right. If, I could if, go on, but you get a sense for it. Yeah, no, I, and, I, and it makes sense. I, I like that. And I, I, you know, and again, it's, a, it's, a, it, I, I kind of almost expected that from you to have a very well thought out and, uh, and, and perfectly placed answer. Uh, a couple, a couple more questions. The big thing that's happened in our world was the Inflation Reduction Act, and it, you know, to me, you know, it's an interesting one. When I give talks, you know, I do point it out. I do point it out that this thing is a game changer. It could be huge. But my fear is that in past government-assisted programs, and I'm thinking back to the stimulus and the whole shovel-ready thing, people didn't take advantage of it. You know, it, you know, it, 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 it just, it just languished. What will make the Inflation Reduction Act a little different? I mean, because that's huge for a company like Ubiquitous Energy. Huge. Absolutely. And it's funny when you asked me why now, yeah. my kind of third prong of why now is really a combination sure. of incentives and attention now. I mean, right, the, the urgency, like you cannot escape the urgency. And there's just so much more knowledge and momentum behind finding solutions for the climate crisis so what does that mean for the Inflation Reduction Act and these incentives? I do think that these incentives will be much more taken advantage of than prior iterations. Okay. I think there have been some tweaks. I'm not usually one to compliment legislation. And in this case, it's been really nicely written. And there are some tweaks that, in my opinion, are really going to increase the kind of like the uptake of those incentives. Okay. One of them, which I absolutely love is there's a direct pay option. So what does that mean? That means that folks who run nonprofits, so think some hospitals, educational institutions, they haven't typically been able to take advantage of these tax incentives, except with, you know, maybe some really gnarly structuring that not everybody has appetite for. Sure, sure. Now there's a direct pay aspect where they don't even have to be taxpayers and they can still get the benefit of the incentive. So that's just one example, um, but there are many. And I think that there's so much more attention these days to upgrading your home, upgrading your building. There's just a lot more um, education out there and attention. So I think the incentives have a really good chance of working in this case and really driving adoption for all kinds of sustainable technologies. Nice, nice, very nice. Now, so you mentioned earlier things things are rolling. You know, you 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 guys are are really putting things together. But now the question is is when 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 is this coming? When when am I going to see it in my specifications? When am I going to be able to order it? How do I order it? I mean, I know that that was you know what what some of your folks were kind of dealing with it at BEC a couple of weeks ago. So what what is a little bit of a timeline on when uh, and what are the next steps look like for Ubiquitous Energy? Well, I wish we had a firm timeline. Um, it's just part of the nature of being a startup is right. that we are at every corner we're gated by and to unlock the next phase. Uh, and so right now we are working on raising capital for our first manufacturing facility. You may have seen bank failures, et cetera, that, you know, are 
impacting the way investors think about risky investments. Yes. So uh, I don't have a firm timeline for when we'll have that, you know, raised and ready to go. And I can also tell you that we're getting really strong support from the Department of Energy through the loans program office. It's run by Jiggershaw. Uh, he and that team have just been incredibly instrumental in backing companies like ours, projects like ours. So more information to come soon, but DOE is helping us out. Uh, and so, I mean, realistically, once we break ground on our manufacturing facility, I'll be able to tell you a much firmer timeline for, you know, when we, when I can get full-size floor-to-ceiling glass in your hands, uh, but it's still a couple of years. Factories take take some time to build. They, they, they do, and they do, and obviously the supply chain and the pandemic doesn't help that much either because things run a little bit further behind, but it, it has allowed you, and I guess, that, again, pointing back to BEC, it has allowed you to take more time for the R&D because that was one of the discussions where I was sitting amongst Glazers who had just met with your folks, and they were like, hey, okay, I like what they're doing with this. You know, it, Will that work for you? And so there was a lot of kind of sharing of thought process going along there. So that's allowed you to continue to kind of, you know, really kind of polish up what you're offering and what your product's going to look like when all is said and done. So that's a, in a way a good thing and you know that the, there's time for you to continue to really get it right. Absolutely. And that's something that I mean, I, my frame of reference is ubiquitous, so I imagine everyone does this. Uh, but that's something I'm really proud of with our team is that there are no wasted moments on our team. And so you got it exactly right. I mean, what this allows us, and by the way, you know, a couple of years to build a plant, we will, we will be keep polishing while, sure. you know, we're building the factory. Um, it allows us to design an end product that is as simple as humanly possible. That's uh, and, yep. you know, yep. right. To go back to earlier in the conversation, making it easy for, you know, to be specced in, make it easy to be engineering modeled, make it easy for our glazers to install, uh, we are using that time to simplify, 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 and to find out what's important. That was also why I was you know, disappointed to miss those conversations at BEC, because we need the industry to tell us where their pain points are and what's important to them. Otherwise, we're guessing. Yeah. And that, that was the discussion I sat in on. You know, I just kind of happened upon it, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was fascinating to be a fly on the wall. So last question, I'm with Susan Stone, CEO of Ubiquitous Energy. Find them online at ubiquitous.energy. Uh, and then again, thank you so much for the time today, but I got to ask, how, how, you know, you, you are naturally from what I could tell a very, you know, upbeat, positive person. So you're probably always, you know, in that positive, you know, go forward mode. How excited are you though? And how do you contain that excitement? You got so much good coming up. Uh, you gotta be pretty pumped about this whole entire process. I am super pumped about this process. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard. Like I, some days I feel like I'm like jumping out of my skin. I'm so excited about what we're able to do. I, you know, I think we have an opportunity just with ubiquitous to make such a big impact on carbon emissions and to do it in a way that doesn't really ask people to do that much differently. And I see technology and solutions like that coming up every day that aren't asking folks I mean, EVs are a great example. We're not asking you to change your mode of transportation altogether. You can still have your vehicle go wherever you want, whenever you want. Right. Let's just electrify it. Right. And so I'm seeing solutions like that come online all the time that get me excited, not just about what we're doing at Ubiquitous, but about being part of, I think about it like a solution revolution here for climate tech. Uh, and that is so fun to be a part of. 
uh, and I'll I'll give you a little bit of a compliment, Max. You you were one of the first people in the glass and glazing and fenestration industry who was so welcoming to us uh, when we were kind of new here. I still feel new here, um, and I've been overwhelmed by that. I mean, you you're one of many. Um, just an incredibly friendly and collaborative industry, uh, and I wasn't sure what to expect when I came in. So I've been really really excited about that too. That's awesome. That's all. no, it's been been my pleasure, and you know the opportunity to to you know visit with your folks wherever it comes. It's everybody again. The team from Ubiquitous could not be any classier. Everybody is such you know such good good eggs, and so uh, you, you've you've done well. The culture there is fantastic, obviously. Uh, so so uh, th- that's a good thing. It's good to have you guys with us, and I do think that the solution revolution. I think that uh, that will stick because that's. You know, we need to be a part of that as an industry. And that's one of the things that really drove me to Ubiquitous was I was among those people back in 2008, 2009 with some of the organic, you know, photovoltaics. And I liked what the the potential was, but it just wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. It, it was too much of a change. Like you said, you've got to make it like what people are used to. That wasn't it. Uh, and it wasn't close to even being it. So uh, I, I was excited from the first time I saw this and, and uh, just will continue to be. And then your, your people just make it make it all the much better. So kudos to you on that. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped right with you. This is good stuff. Oh, uh, I, I just want time to kind of keep moving so we can get there. You know, I'm sure you right. do too. That's right. That's how I feel too. Every day I'm like, let's, uh, let's go, let's go faster, but not too fast, right? Like too fast, you can break too much stuff, but fast, just fast enough. Break a few things, but not too many. There, there you go. Uh, there and you're you go. right. We do hire good eggs. So yep, if anybody yep. wants to work at Ubiquitous Energy, make sure good egg is somewhere uh, on your resume. <laughs> a- a- absolutely. There's there's no doubt. Well, well, again, I, I'm thrilled that you took the time today. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you in person one of these days, maybe BEC next year in Nashville. Uh, it'll, it'll be a good time. You'll get to experience what your folks experienced this year. Uh, but, yeah. but Susan Stone, CEO, Ubiquitous Energy, thank you so much. Thanks, Max. It was such a pleasure to be here with you. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, okay. Start with Trent Theory. He is the VP of Sales and Marketing at Isaclima Global Security Glazing. Uh, also a part of that Delubac family. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, but it's a great thrill because I've gotten to know Trent a little bit and a really good man. So I'm happy to introduce him to the wider audience. Trent, thank you for joining the podcast. No, pleasure to be here. I, I really appreciate the invite. Um, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time. You know, the first time we met, I don't know if you remember, but I, I just said, hey, it's the voice, you know, the voice, because I usually listen to the audio podcasts. So uh, and you've got a great set of pipes, Max. Thank you. That, that was an honor. I was, it was really cool that you had said that. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on here because uh, you're an interesting guy with uh, in a hot segment. And uh, you're coming off a great BEC where uh, you, you kick things off on the panel. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But you can find Trent and his company at uh, Isoclima. That's I-S-O-C-L-I-M-A-S-G, isoclimasg.com. Uh, so you can find them online there. And so let's start with you, uh, you know, first off, because you are, quote unquote, new to this side of the industry, but you're not new to glass, uh, so you know our world. So let, let's talk about your past and you know, w- you know where you came from and, and how you got to this point. Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I I'm, I'm, came from the glass side of things, but I was with uh, Vitro previous to joining Isoclima, and, uh, but I was on their automotive side. So while I was dealing with glass, um, it was a different type of glass. It was uh, thinner. We were using the same types of products, right? So you're using glass, PVB, 
frit. Uh, but, you know, our thin glass was going down to, you know, three and a half mils, 2.8 mils, something like that. And, and now on this side of the, uh, you're opposite. Street, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Our thin glass is three eighths of an inch. Right. I mean, so, uh, and that's, that's what we get down to. So, um, learning a whole new side of the industry. Uh, I was, uh, you know, obviously coming from automotive and I'm uh, currently located still in our home in, in Southeast Michigan, um, you know, Midwest born and raised and uh, right in the heart of the automotive market. So uh, I've spent about 20 years following the uh, the ups and downs of the automotive industry and, uh, you know, working with just about everybody under the sun um, from an automaker standpoint. Um, came into that from a uh, uh, mechanical engineering side of things. So I have a little bit of the technical uh, background, um, but I was working at the time on, you know, when I first started on uh, some safety products. So um, spinning forward to, uh, to Isoclima and uh, global security glazing, it's, it's a real natural fit because we are working on safety and security, uh, right. but then also with the neck glass product portfolio. Very nice. And, and so, yeah, so, you know, you, you, so you understood glass and you came over to this side and I've been impressed at how quickly you've picked it up and we'll talk a second about your company, but are, are, how are you doing from basically the couple of times I've talked to you along the way was drinking from the fire hose. How's that all going? For sure. I'm still, uh, the, the hydrant's still going. That's amazing. <laughs> There's a never ending supply of water that comes out of there. So no, uh, picking it up um, as best I can and in events like uh, glass build and BC are such a great resource uh, and time to learn about all the different aspects of the industry, whether it's uh, um, from the installing side or the material side, or even some of the, you know, like the, the tapes and applications and, and also the new products that are coming down the line. Uh, so those have been great resources to help uh, as much of that water retention as I can get. I love you know? it. And that's what I had noticed when, when I met you in person at Glassfield was that you were active in trying to learn while you were there. And that's what that show is for. It's amazing that people sometimes go there and they don't realize what's in front of them, but you did. And mm -hmm. that makes sense. So now let's talk a little bit about your, your companies. And so the biggest question is, is what is it? So as I sent you the outline, you probably had to laugh because for some people, they only know it as Isaclima because that is a major brand, worldwide brand, powerful brand. And then you have Global Security, which is a, a very well-known uh, brand here in, in North America. And then you also have the old Lubac, which is a part of the company, which is, you know, being, uh, you know, kind of, you know, phased out. W what are you right now? How does that all work? And if, if somebody has a spec that says one of the three, does it all work for you? Yeah, absolutely. They can call us any of those. That's fine. Uh, no, it's a it's a great question. And and the other question I always get is it isoclima? Is it isoclima? Isoclima. So yeah, the we, we go by in, uh, in in the U.S. is isoclima specialty glass, um, and it does bring together two uh, two longtime players in the glass industry, which was the Lubeck specialty glass out of Blairsville, Pennsylvania, uh, and then also Global Security Glazing out of. Uh, Selma, Alabama. So underneath, we uh, we go by all of those. We show up in specifications under all of those. And uh, so, yeah, we hear it quite a bit. And again, you can say isoclima, that's okay. Yeah, as, hey, as long as the purchase orders, I assume, and the quotes say it, it doesn't really matter what you call it. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, so we, we've got that down, Pat. Uh, what's, what's been interesting is right now, I think you are in a really hot segment and it's unfortunate that you're in a hot segment i mean obviously we don't like the fact that protective glass and protective glazing is hot but you are in it uh you know so uh, first off a, a little bit about you know just getting into the protective and all the offerings and then i think the the next step is is 
you know, having things like bent glass, which are are really are, are I don't want to say making a comeback because they really never went away, but now they're becoming it's almost like a resurgence on the bent glass mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, on the protective side, uh, you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's a growing need, and uh, unfortunately, we see that need come to the forefront. You know, probably every every few months. Um, uh, but because of that, there's there's really been a response in the market, and uh, we do have some entry level forced entry resistant products that we offer, and so that would be um, it's it's really good for the education setting for the K twelve market. It's also good for the commercial setting because you can you can retrofit a standard opening with these glasses because they do go down to three eighths of an inch, right? But still offer you know up to six minutes and ten minutes of protection time, even up to uh, 16 minutes of protection time where uh, you're going to keep the bad actors out of the facility, whether they're looking to to gain entry for, uh, you know, some nefarious purpose or just to, you know, smash and grab and take something. Um, so those are kind of the entry level. But then, you know, of course, our product line from a protection standpoint spans the entire uh, uh, segment. So from all the way up to like a BR8 level from a bullet resistance standpoint where, you know, these are the types of uh, products that we would see used in, uh, you know, the bank facility, uh, you know, an embassy, uh, some of these types of settings where you're really looking for a high level of uh, bullet resistance and also blast resistance. Sure. So we really span the entire segment there. And, it, and it's become it's become pretty commonplace now. I mean, obviously, schools, uh, as you mentioned, and you were one of the first to have a specific school product and then uh, one of the first to have a specific, you know, kind of retail slash commercial product, uh, you know, for stadiums and other things like that. So it is amazing. It's sad, as I said, but it, but it's, it's now a necessary evil, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we are all are, we are also seeing them in combination where uh, when you have a, let's say the first floor of a building or even higher than that, but on your secure vestibules where you want to see some type of a, uh, a combination of the products where you'll have some forced entry on the outside uh, and maybe you've got, uh, you know, a teller window or something along those lines on the storefront where you want to have uh, maybe a higher level because you have some people on the other side or, you know, kind of buzzing people in or out of the facility. So we're seeing a combination. Uh, but, yeah, definitely it gets into, uh, you know, some areas that we want to make sure that we're protecting uh, the people that are that are working and serving us every day, whether it is, as you mentioned, on uh, on the arena setting where we've done some work in that area as well, uh, but also in the schools, uh, in our places of uh, of residence, and the places where we work every single day, making sure those people are are well protected. And and uh and, and I mentioned bent, and and it's funny because I mentioned the the kind of the resurgence because it seems to me in my career, you know, bent would be hot and everywhere and then it disappears and then it comes back. And I, I think it's on one of those upswings right now. Am I seeing that right? Or is it just the, just the normal everyday sort of push on that sort of product? No, definitely. We're seeing uh, more bent, a lot more usage there. We're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, circular staircases, handrails, glass handrails, uh, but then also on the exterior of buildings uh, for sure. That's, that's coming back. And what we're really seeing is uh, the architects and uh, the designers are really pushing the envelope to see what what it is glass can do and uh, having some some really wild designs and, you know, really pushing the envelope everywhere they, everywhere they can from an aesthetic standpoint. But then also, again, we're seeing that even on the, the security side where we're uh, they're specking that out with 
you know, some complex inner layers, or they're trying to do something more on the protection side to make sure that it's going to withstand, uh, let's say, hurricane force winds, um, and all those types of items to make sure that it's having both the aesthetic uh, the properties to it, but then also the protection level that you want. Nice, nice, nice. I'm with Trent Theory, VP of Sales and Marketing at Isoclima, also Global Security Glazing. You may know that, either of those names. Uh, find them on uh, online at IsoclimaSG, that's I-S-O-C-L-I-M-A-S-G.com, uh, and see what they have. And so I always mix things up with a fun question, and then curious with, with you on this one. Uh, favorite all-time food? And, and the reason I ask is every year, I think, uh, I'll ask it maybe once or twice a year, and the last person I asked this to was Will Pounds of TSI Corporations. And he stunned me with a, a certain gas station sushi. I don't think you can ever top that. That's his all-time favorite food. But who knows? Maybe you do. All-time favorite food for Trent Theory. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways I can go after this. Um, but, you know, one thing I'm, uh, I've am i tried just about everywhere, if they've got barbecue chicken pizza on the menu, um, I'm probably going to try it. Nice. Uh, coming from Metro Detroit, we've got a lot of... Uh, Detroit style pizzerias and they've all got one, one type of that or another. So it's on the menu. Usually I'm going to try it. Um, but I will say, uh, it's not gas station sushi, but, uh, one of the best meals I ever had was a train station, uh, sushi restaurant in Tokyo, uh, when I was traveling through there and just a hole in the wall type of a place. But, um, I think I heard a rumor. It actually had a Michelin star and, wow. uh, yeah, wow. I'll tell you what, you had to eat this sitting down. It was so good. Your knees would buckle. Um, wow. So it okay. was really good. I, li I like it. And it's funny, you live about an hour from me. I have not gotten to meet you in person in, in Detroit, in the Detroit area. So we will have to go do some pizza uh, since that's like my go-to food. And barbecue chicken pizza, I'm right with you. I, I, I love that. Fantastic mix. Fantastic. So we will do that. Good answer. Good answer. I like that. All right. So back to the, uh, the, the quote unquote serious stuff, BEC. It was your first BEC. First and foremost, what did you think of the uh, conference? I thought it was awesome. Uh, it was a really great event and, and, and we were really honored to participate um, and, and get up there and really talk about uh, both safety and security and also specialty glass. So that was, uh, that was a great opportunity. And it was nice to be able to contrast it with glass build both of them were in Las Vegas, of course, glass build back in October and BC just uh, uh, back in March. Um, really great events, both of them, but really different. I, I enjoyed BC. Uh, you really got to see a lot of people in the industry and, and get to know them, right? Because yeah. you're talking about a, a, an audience size of about 700 people, whereas glass build, I think we spent three days there. Um, and I could have spent another three days there not seen everything and, and, you know, gotten to interact with most of the people. So uh, really great event at uh, BEC and, and they kept it fun. And uh, I really enjoyed all the keynote speakers and all the panels that we got to uh, participate in. It was great. Great having you there. I thought you did a great job on your, your keynote panel and uh, in, in, it really, really flowed well. And, and you're right, there is a difference between the two events. I mean, Glassfield is, is massive and it covers so many different aspects of our world. Uh, and it's important because, again, you have to hit all of that up. And then this one's important because you this is where you can make some deeper, more meaningful connections. Um, and, and I look at it as one sets up the other, uh, you know, sort of thing. And, you know, you, you, you know, you're, you're either making connections at Glassfield and further them at BEC or vice versa. And, uh, and that's why it's really important to, uh, to be involved. And I'm glad you are, uh, you know, the focus that, that at BEC and one of the things that you talked about for those that did not attend was you were on a panel talking about the future. And what was interesting was I had heard some feedback from people like, 
okay, I understand why Sophie from Enclose is on this panel because she's this brilliant, brilliant scientific, you know, innovator, carbon, you name it. She's like out there. She's fantastic, unbelievable. And I know why, you know, initially Susan Stone was was on the panel, but then replaced by Kelly Whittingham when, when there were some travel issues. I know why they're on the panel because they're transparent solar and that's new and that's happening. Why is the security glass guy up there? Well, you know, or is it for the bench? Why is he? Would you know, or the, the decorative glass? Why is he up there? And I thought you you accounted for yourself extremely well, especially from the standpoint of, you know, guess what, folks? This is still a product for the future, even though it's coming from the past. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about you know your mindset going into this thing because that was not easy for you, I'm sure. You know, when it was pitched to you, hey, we want you on this panel with these two, you know, you know, very high powered women two very high powered fresh innovations and then you have you so your thoughts yeah no and it was it was doubly difficult because uh you know the iq level of both of those ladies uh, and everybody on the stage was 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 super Tremendous. high so I yeah really katie devlin is katie devlin is brilliant yeah she was the moderator and she's fantastic sorry go ahead absolutely absolutely um but yeah no you're right and and when we think about the future of things what we have to keep in mind and really the message that i wanted to drive was that um, things are changing all the time. And with the amount of time that it takes to, you know, go from, from drawing really from concept to a building being, uh, you know, put into service, whatever it is, whether it's residential, commercial, educational, whatever it is, you're talking years, you know? So if we're not thinking right now, five, seven years into the future, by the time that building opens, if you need to make or respond to anything, you're going to be another five or seven years behind. So you could be looking 10 to 14 years in the future of what do we need to have? So we really have to start thinking about these things. And uh, one of the things that we're receiving a lot of feedback from and participating in is what are the needs going to be five, seven, 10 years into the future and, and putting those in right now. And, and there are things like uh, radio frequency transmission through the glass, uh, optic transmission through the glass, um, so starting to incorporate a lot of the, you know, smart glass technologies like PDLC and some of the things that can obscure um, the images through there, or even uh, in introducing some of the coatings that you can put on that are going to block a lot of these things and keep them out. Um, but then we're also seeing, especially on, uh, I'd say, on, on the higher protection side of things, is that the level that we're trying to protect Whereas previously, you're really thinking about the first story of a building, maybe right. the second story of a building. And then from there, you're putting in maybe a standard type of a glazing. Whereas now we're seeing that we may need to start raising up those protection levels to even higher levels. And so we want to think about it. What are the types of materials that we're going to use there? How are we going to be installing them there when you're taking up you know, these massive, large panels that are very thick, have a lot of glass, a lot of uh, complex materials in them and bring them up? We've got to be ready as an industry, not only to make them, uh, to design them, make them, but then also to install them. And we've got to keep safety in mind through every aspect of that. Uh, when it comes to material selections of what we're putting in there, where are we sourcing them from? Where are we getting them from? Are we making the right selections to protect our people in our factories? Uh, and then also on the job site. And then also when they're occupied and interacting in the environment around them. We really need to think about safety and security across all those dimensions. Nice, nice. That's important. And and so it is a it's funny, it may be in a quote unquote old school product, but it it's there's continuing new school adventures that it has to meet. Absolutely. Yeah, the technologies are 
are changing across the board. And, uh, you know, we look forward to, uh, you know, in, in the future, seeing some of these products integrated with some of the technologies that, that Sophie and Kelly were both talking about on the stage there, um, because we're going to need to have, it's, it's not an either or, it's an and yes. solution that we're going to need. And I, and I like that attitude. I think that's a that's the right attitude because I do think that companies get set in their ways and they uh, tend to ignore some of those new technologies instead of embracing them. And and it's smart that you and the team there are embracing it and looking forward to it. That's a it's a good call by you. Uh, I'm with Trent Theory, VP of Sales and Marketing, Isa Klima, Global Security Glazing, IsaKlimaSG.com. You can find them online there. Uh, I know you're a busy man and we talked about drinking from the fire hose. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but uh, I do have to ask, uh, as I, I, I ask pretty much every every month and every guest, how's the year been so far and what are you looking forward to in the, the very interesting 2024 uh, date? And I'm sure you probably have some new new feelings after spending some time with your industry com- compadres at uh, BEC. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, 2023 has been off to a, a really rocking start. Um, you know, we've really knocked it out of the park. Um, so we we started really fast and we've kept it going. Uh, so it's been great there. We we really started the year and ended 2022 with a pretty hairy backlog uh, that we managed to work our way through. So uh, we're we're really humming right now. Now going forward into 2024, we are we're starting to see a little bit of softening. Um, and, and that's been a little bit of the prediction, prediction across the board from, you know, some of the folks that we follow, like ITR economics, mm-hmm. and, and also picking up from those at, at BEC. Um, because we work and we really specialize on more, you know, commercial projects, public buildings, um, some larger government entities, you know, we do see that those projects are maybe being pushed out a little bit, but most of, mostly they're moving forward. Um, it's not quite as uh, discretionary as some of the residential types of constructions where we know that those have started to slow down a little bit. So yeah. um, we're, we're optimistic, but certainly there's a little bit of softening on the horizon. Yeah, that's uh that that's the fear. Um, but I think that again, what's nice, I guess the one thing you could say what's nice about you guys is you, you you're pretty darn darn diverse. I mean, so you mm-hmm. do have that that might be the nice thing of having all the different offerings. You talked about you know the schools and the the commercial and the uh you know the ballistic all you know, the heavy duty ballistics and the bomb blast, and then you go over to the specialty side with with the bent and some of the decorative. Um, so you do have enough maybe that it can kind of when one thing's down, another thing will carry it sort of thing. So that's got at least that's a little bit of peace of mind. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I, again, I will have to thank you so much. I'm thrilled to have have you on the podcast. And again, uh, when, one of these times when the weather ever gets better in Michigan, we'll have to connect so we can get some pizza together. But uh, Trent Theory, VP of Sales and Marketing, Issa Kalima, thank you so much for joining me on the pod. And uh, congrats on a great BEC and a great keynote, first of probably many for you on this side of the industry. And I hope you're finding this side of the industry good. You're, you know, you once you get in this side of the industry, you never go back. I've heard, I've heard five years and then it's a lifetime, right? I, I love it. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you. No, thank you so much, Max. I appreciate it. Okay. Okay. To wrap things up this month, I'm, I'm thrilled that I have somebody that I, I've just gotten to know just a tiny bit over the last year, Brandon Nicastro, CEO and founder of GCS Glass. You can find them at gcs.glass online. Uh, Brandon, CEO and founder, as I mentioned, great company, uh, great guy that I've uh, been really, really impressed with. So thank you so much, Brandon, for doing the podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me on.
No, it's it's great to have you. And and uh, you know, I, I've been impressed. I've followed you on social media. We're gonna talk about some of the some of the things there. You've been in uh your company's been in business for 10 years. Uh, but but let's go back a little bit. How did you get into this business, this crazy business of ours in the glass and shower door and glazing world? So when I was 18 years old, my best friend was living in San Diego and his stepdad was has been a glazer forever. And he called me one day and said, hey, you, if you want to move out here, I'll get you and Matt both a job where I'm working down in San Diego. You can live with us, uh, blah, blah, blah. I, he's like, I'll get you start. This was back in 2013, so 20 years ago. I'll get you uh, $14 an hour starting doing commercial. And like, sounds good to me. I was making you know minimum wage at a bike shop. So right. I moved out there, interviewed with the owner, and he started us both off at minimum wage, uh, oh. commercial glazing. And so I was already out there and I just, I just stayed with it. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm already out here. I'll, I'll, it's a trade. I'll stick with it. I had nothing sure. else going on at the time and kind of just kind of stuck with it. But that's, that's where it started was in San Diego, 2003. And, and, and really, so you don't have a, like a family connection to this business. That was just it. That's how you got pulled into it. Yeah. I just got drug into this thing. Now, so so you go from there, and and it's funny. My, my only comparison, I was working in TV. I was making six bucks an hour, and my brother was like, "Dude, you know, our family's been in the business forever. You know, come on, I'll pay you six fifty. And right. so he, he 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 kicked me up fifty cents, and it was worth it for me to jump. So, but uh, I I know how you feel there. So so okay, so you get into the business. Do you immediately fall in love with this? Because I mean, you have to love this business to be in it the way we are. Did you immediately fall in love with it, or was it something just clicked along the way? Uh, no, I, I loved it when I got into it, we were doing, like I said, we were doing commercial storefront at the time. So it was different. I loved working with my hands. I was good with working up with my hands. So being able to erect stuff like that, I always say it's like Legos, you get, you're building something from scratch and all that. And, uh, you know, I was a grunt. So I was, I was doing a lot of work running up and down stairs, you know, roping windows up and all that stuff. But it was, it was good. It was, but at the end of the day, you felt like you put in a solid day's worth of work. And I just, I guess I've always been like that. I just, I want to feel like I'm six that I've, I've done enough to make me feel good at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, how did GCS come, come to be? How did that come along? So I was living in San Diego. I lived in San Diego on and off. I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. So mm -hmm. I lived in San Diego on and off for about seven years. I was married, had two kids out there. I got a divorce, couldn't afford to stay in San Diego. So I moved back home to Phoenix and I ended up going to work for a big fortune 500, uh, company called, uh, Masco. They okay. were like mm -hmm. their paints, no yep. guard, all that no, stuff. So no they, more. Owned a they owned a company called Gale Insulation at the time. And yep. they did like spray foam for track homes and all that. So I came on to do their bath packs and then I would say I was probably there about a year, year or so, and it just wasn't working out. The The manager of that division quit, and I kind of, they were going to shut it down. I stepped up, put it on my back, and kind of was doing everything, and it just, they wouldn't promote me. They wouldn't do anything. There was no, there was no growth for me, so my buddy, who I originally started in the glass industry with, we kind of went separate ways at this time. We weren't really talking too much. He kind of went a different direction than me, and he's like, hey, if I if I sell 
some showers on Craigslist. Do you think you can get glass and install? And I'm like, yeah, I can get glass. And so he sold a couple, I installed a couple. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm just going to go out on my own. And it was one of those things where I, I was like, if I can do this on the side after work, what, what can I, if I dedicated my time during right. the day, like how far could it get? And, you know, it was, it was December 13th of 2013 when I actually walked away and start and was like, I'm done and kind of just went for it. Love it. Love it. Lo- love, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I love when people bet on themselves. Uh, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. You know, it's scary as hell, but, but it's great because you, you got to do it. So your first uh, of, of locations obviously was in Phoenix then. Yep. Yes, it was. And and then it kind of just obviously, because you have a, and we're going to talk about it, you, your work ethic is off the charts. You, you then just kind of put this thing on your back and off you went. Yeah. So I, I met a guy who was buying glass from one of my vendors out here and he was just subbing it out to install it. So he'd purchased the glass and, and he was doing a ton of remodels. So I kind of, I linked up with him and I was like, this is going to be, this is my jumping point right here. Like this is consistent work. I wasn't making a ton of money off the installs, but it was consistent mm-hmm. enough. And so from then on, I just did that. And every job site that I passed, I took pictures of contractors. I walked in job sites. I would, I would install a measure all day long. And then I would go home and I would start cold calling contractors at four or five o'clock in the afternoon and try to, you know, bid jobs for them. And it, you know, it took off. I built a really good relationship with con with certain contractors. And that was kind of the foundation of GCS was just built off the back of contractors and kind of home advisor at the time. I would advertise a little bit on Craigslist in the beginning, but once everything was official, Craigslist was kind of dying out. Sure. So it was just basically home advisor and then off the back of contractors. Love it. Love it. So I'm with Brandon DeCastro, CEO and founder of GCS Glass. See them online, gcs.glass. And so you you get it going, you're rolling. And and that now, uh, you know, you have multiple locations. You have some of the best branding I've ever seen. Uh, you know, and, and I have a, definitely have a question on that. But uh, let, let's first start with what overall makes GCS stand out? Because, I mean, you 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 know, there's tons of competition in this space. You know it. You actually are, are great with, with best practices with other people in the space. But what makes you and your company stand out? Um, we, do, we do the tough work. We do the stuff that people don't want to do. We think outside the box. And we'll, we make it happen if it's safe and, it can, and can happen. And our customer service, our, the customer experience, we're continuously improving that. And I feel like that's one of the the best things that you can have is that customer experience. A lot of people can install a shower door, but when you go out there and you give them the best customer experience, they're going to come back over and over again. And with that customer experience, you're building great culture in the company. So if your guys believe in your company and they buy into the company, that customer experience goes a long way. No doubt. No doubt. Now, your your branding is I mentioned just a second ago is spectacular. You know you've got the great colors. You've done neat things with the trucks. Where where did this come from? Because again, it's not like you had a classic training on the branding side. Is this just from being kind of connected with the customers, connected to the world? How did you pull up some of the branding aspects uh, that really really work nicely now? I think it's because I I hold myself to a high standard on how I look and how I dress, and I kind of rolled that in with the company because. It's 
GCS is a direct reflection of myself. So I just, I saw from all the other companies I worked for, they didn't really do a good job on branding. They would just put a name on their truck. Some people wouldn't even put a name on their truck. Right. Um, there was, there was really no brain in it. They would buy you hats and shirts, but they buy the cheapest stuff, right? You get the, the old school shirts that just don't fit right. The hats right. that just were like, you're not going to wear them. So I've always, whatever I wore is what I gave the employees and I would print and I would do different colors, different hats. At one point I had custom Nike shoes made three different, three different rounds for all the employees that were black and orange. I said GCS glass on them and did that for a while. And it was just, it was just one of those things. Our image is everything. So yes. And, and you see, it's funny. My brother's a big listener of this podcast and you and him would get along very well because he, when it came to the branding, he did not, he, he did not pinch pennies. It was always the best quality because you're right. If you give somebody a crappy hat, you know, that usually ends up in the back of their pickup truck or the, or the bottom on the floor. You know, they don't have any pride in wearing it. You give them something nice, they wear it and they wear it until it's done. And it gives you tons of free advertising. So kudos to you. It's a great call. But also it's expensive. So you have to, you know, it's a tough one, especially when you're starting out and you're growing. That had to be a, a little bit of a tough, tough go, but you know, it's worth it. it. It definitely was. And it's, it's funny you say that about throwing the hat away is, we have guys that are like, can I get an extra one? Because I want this as my going out hat. This is, I want to wear this when I, on the right. weekends and stuff. And that's just, that's part of branding, right? Your employees have bought into where they love wearing the stuff because it's nice quality and it looks good. So they want to wear it outside of work and represent the company as well. And every year we do something different with jackets or a type of a hoodie or something. And it's always different every single year. And they look forward to getting that new that new hoodie or jacket every single year. Yeah. And, and it goes to say, you, you just rolled out some new trucks, I believe. And, and so there are probably people that want to drive those trucks because they don't look like the right. typical glass transit trucks. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Good, good so. call by you. Good call. So uh, a couple more questions, because I know you've got a tons, tons of things going on. The locations, you, you've got a good handful right now. Uh, and, and obviously probably thoughts on growing. What is the next, uh, next frontier? I know you're, you're in Phoenix and then, and, and, you know, uh, you know, some other locations, but, but uh, what's next steps for GCS? Uh, we have a goal of 50 locations in the next five years. Nice. And nice. it's a, it's a hefty goal, but it's, it's reachable if we build out the foundation, right. And we're still building out the foundation and I'll tell you this, it's hard growing a national brand. It's, it's, it's different than growing a GCS in different locations in the same state, but going outside the state gets difficult, especially yeah. going like we're in California now and we're in New York. So we're across the country. So, and tax laws, all, all yep. the different, just the different labor laws, everything is just different in every single state. So it's, and we're like, well, we'll just follow the, sh the strictest place, but it's not always the strictest place. Like there's just one-off things that are different in other states. So it's, it's kind of, you have addendums to your employee handbooks and all that for all the locations. It, it's a, it's definitely a learning curve. No, no doubt. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge. And, and the toughest thing is, is that you, you, it's easy in, in some levels to run one or two branches because you got talent concentrated in those branches. Mm -hmm. Now, when you start to go out further and further, that talent now starts to spread a little bit and you have to find new talent. Uh, you know, but again, I think you have the right culture, but you're doing it the right way. You're not rushing into it, but I like the goal. I'm excited about the goal. And, uh, and you're obviously yeah. fired up about it too. For very cool. Yeah. It, it's, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun journey. 
I love it. I love it. All right. So speaking of fun, we, we always break up these interviews with a, with a fun question. And, uh, and, and so I, I, my humble brag is I, I can run, I usually run between 25 and 30 miles a week. I like to run. I like to get out and run. You, I saw, did a 37 mile run in one day. Uh, uh, that, my friend, so I got to ask you, okay, 37 mile run. How, how did it go? How long did it take? And, and why? So, <laughs> so it was a ultra marathon. It was a trail run. Okay. And it was from a city in Arizona, a little north of me called Mare. And we ran to Rock Springs Cafe in Black Canyon City. So we ran through the mountains. It was, it was a net downhill, but okay. it was still a elevation gain, 3,500 feet elevation gain through the whole race. It took me 10 hours and 22 minutes to complete of just nonstop going. Obviously there is, I think there was like five or six aid stations, like every seven miles. Gotcha. Aid station. It was tough. It was the hardest thing I've ever, it was the most mental and physically thing I've ever had to do. Not that I had to do it, but that I did. Yeah. Um, I wasn't prepared for it. The longest I ran before that was in January was a half marathon. Okay. And, and then a month later I signed up for this ultra marathon because I had a couple buddies that I was training with. I was like, just do it. Like you're, I'm like, I'm not ready. You're never going to be ready. So let's just, might as well just sign up and see what happens. And I would say my, I had an injury that I was nursing after that half marathon. So I probably ran 20 miles after that half marathon, which was a month before the ultra marathon. Yeah. So I only put in like 20 miles of road running. And so I just went out there and did it. And mile 19, we hit that, that aid station, which was like the halfway point. Yeah. And I was, I was dead. I was the furthest I've ever ran and I was starting to cramp up already. I made a mistake of not bringing any salt tabs. Okay. I probably wasn't drinking. I know I now I wasn't drinking enough water. Right. But I left that aid station and it was a straight climb up right after the aid station. And about a couple of my, I went with two buddies and one buddy took off before us. And then we're the other buddy and I were going to run it together the rest of it. And then he's like, I have, I'm going to just empty the gas tank and see what happens. So he took off and at mile 25, I rolled my ankle Ooh. and and I kept going, but it got to a point where the last, I would say 15 miles, my calves were cramping up. So every time I would run, I would feel them start to ball up and tighten about to cramp and I'd have to let off a little bit. So I was oh. kind of doing this weird shuffle thing, trying to run for 15 miles. And it, I ended up, I ended up doing it and it was a great accomplishment and um, I'll do it again. I'll bring salt tabs this time and drink a lot more water. I think it's, I drank probably a gallon and a half of water that whole race, which I thought was a lot because I was filling up my pack every aid station. Yeah. But uh, my watch that I had an ex estimated sweat loss of like 6,500 milliliters, which was almost two and a half gallons. So wow. it was probably a combination of, of not enough water and not enough salt. Amazing. I mean, I, hey, I, I give you credit. You put yourself out there, and that's a tough one. And uh, congrats on getting it done. Uh, it's uh, it is it is uh, it is very very impressive. Funny thing is, is I I text my trainer that night. It was on a Sunday, and I I said I'm actually feeling pretty good. Are we training in the morning? <laughs> and he's like, it's up to you if you want to train. And I'm like, I'm good to go. I I think I'm good. 
and my feet hurt, but I think I'm good. And I woke up at like midnight to go to the bathroom and yeah. I couldn't, I, it hurt to walk. And I was like, <laughs> I had a text. I'm like, I'm not coming in the morning. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, no, that had to be tough. Well, congrats. Congrats. That's impressive. That's impressive. I'm with Brandon DeCastro, CEO and founder of GCS Glass. GCS.glass is their website. A few more questions. You're a part of uh, what I consider one of the best groups online, the Shower Door Professional Groups with Chris Phillips, who started it. Uh, great man, uh, part of your world now too, as well. Uh, how valuable is that group? Uh, how valuable did you find that group? I, I think it's unbelievable the way you guys and gals get on there and just chop it up. And um, it, it's just such a winning sort of atmosphere and so good for our world. Uh, you know, have, have, what, what do you think about the whole thing? Um, as far as that, I'm going to dig in a little bit about social media because I think social yeah. media is good and bad, right? There's there's good good to it and bad to it. But with social media, it's brought people together that you would never meet in your life. And we're connected. We're connected now through social media all over the world. And right. you would have never known this person existed. And now with the shower door group, you're connected even more. You connect even more because it's on a more personal level, especially with these calls on zoom calls and the weekly call we do. Yep. So you get to build relationships where it's almost like, you know, that person when you meet them in person, finally, it's like you've known them for years because you've talked to them every week on social media and kind of built that relationship and that rapport. And, and for us, there's just so much knowledge in that group to be able to, um, take in and give out. Yeah. There's, there's things that I learned from people in there. Um, I help a lot of people in that group Yep. and it also, it's also a gateway to help us grow to 50 locations. We're able to meet people that might want to get out of the business, might want to, you know, merge with GCS one day or something. So we're able to kind of utilize that to be able to meet great people. No, smart, smart. And Chris has done a wonderful job and that's on Facebook, the shower door professionals. And I've put it on my blog a few times. Uh, you know, if you're in this business, you really should be in, you know, at least following that page, be a member of that page, but those weekly zoom calls I've, I've been on a few. They're fantastic. So, so a couple last questions for you, uh, good and bad. I mean, you mentioned some good things along the way. What, what are we as an industry are, are we doing that's good and what do we have to do to get better? And, and I, I, I'm curious about your perspective because you're, again, not somebody who had a family in the business. You're somebody who worked your way up literally from the bottom, from minimum wage as a, as a grunt. Uh, so what are the good things and what are the bad things that we got to work on? Um, I think the good things are is we do a really good job of showcasing the trade. We, we install glass in the biggest and baddest buildings in the world. And yeah. it's, it's on display. Like our work is shown and it's the most, one of the most sensitive materials that we're installing too. And the same thing on the residential side with shower doors and windows and stuff where, you know, we get to install in some of the, the nicest houses in the world as well and showcase our stuff as a, as a center, like some shower doors are a centerpiece to a house or a wine cellar or a multi stuff like that. So I think we do that really well. On the other hand, I think that we need to get better at training. There isn't really a training. There's no school really. There's no, there's no definitive when someone wants to train, this is what you do. Right. Everyone has their own way to do things. There's not really set standards on how to do things. Everyone kind of just learns as they're coming up on how to do things. So us as leaders in the industry got to try to put it together to be able to have a better training program. And I know there's guys out there that have really good personal like training in their own businesses as we do. 
right. but there, there definitely could, there's definitely room for it to be on a national scale. Um, and then, and I'm not in training, just not just in installing, but training on how to price, how to uh, just back end stuff because sure. that sure. kind of stuff kills our industry, especially in the shower door industry. When you have guys that don't know how to price and it just, it, brings everything else down and you're competing against that stuff. But like if everyone kind of learned that would, would help the whole industry out, we'd be able to pay our employees more than what we're paying them because we, we want to showcase our stuff. We want our employees to be able to thrive as well. So. Yeah, that's definitely a lift all boats sort of scenario, you know, you know, is improving the training and especially, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, I think right now, a lot of the focus is on that labor side, like how to install if there are training sort of programs, you know, and there are the ones that I, you know, follow as well, but, but very little with, with, it, with regards to estimating with project managing. And, and, and I think you're right. I mean, that's what kills us. And, and that's some of the things that I'll read on, on the shower door professionals board. When somebody says, I just lost a job to X because they did, they did this. And everybody will jump on and say, good for you. Let, let, let that person take that crappy job at that, that sort of situation because they're going to drown on it. They're going to choke on it sort of thing. But we got to get out of that. We got to have less people doing stupid things like that. And I think that makes a lot of sense by you. And I think that's where the group helps too is it, there's a lot of people in that group and we talk about best practices and how to do things and stuff. But it's not everyone's on social media. Not everyone's in the group. Not everyone's going to listen to sure. how to do it. They're going to think their way is better. But and it, and it might be better, but this as a whole, we can be a, we can have a better industry if we, if we didn't hold everything so tight to our chest and not give out any information, there's plenty of work in this world for everybody to not worry about trade secrets and stuff like that. We can absolutely we can help out a lot. Absolutely. And so that brings me to my last question and, and it's that plenty of work thing. And so the, everybody that listens or watches this podcast loves this question about how how's it going right now business-wise for you now and what's 2024 looking like because i guess now for 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 you you know and you being a guest right after the craziness with these banks and so on uh you know 2024 might be a little bit more murky than than we thought but how's 2023 going for you and gcs and and what are you guys looking at for 2024 um so far it's been a it's been a great start um we're we had a record February here in Phoenix, a uh, little slower in January, but I think, I think we're, it's, we're in a year of maintaining. I think that's what it is. I don't think you're going to see crazy growth this year. You might grow a little bit, but I think we're going to see more of like, we're going to be maintaining on what we were doing the last couple of years. And then same with 2024, uh, depending on what happens in politics. And so that always plays a part in everything, but yeah. depending on what happens, but I think, I think we're in a tough time, and I, I, it doesn't look like it to most. But there are some industries that are struggling. You see banks that are over leveraged with crypto and stuff like that that are going under. And you know, I had a talk with my the vice president of the bank I'm with, and they they assured us that they're not going under. They're good. They're not over leveraged. They don't even get into a lot of the you know private equity stuff or the. Um, venture capital, yeah, venture, venture capital, tech startup stuff, and yeah. all that in crypto. So, I think that scared a lot of people. Seeing banks kind of that happen to banks, especially with yeah. the economy, looks like it's doing well. At least in construction, it's doing well. Yeah. But for us, it's a little bit different because we're in different markets, so we see different trends. It's not the same through the whole company. One one location could struggle a little bit, one can thrive. So it's kind of up and down. But I think we're in a. I, 
I think we're in like a winter area that happens every century, the Great Depression, mm-hmm. World War II and all that. And then you go into spring and summer and it's thriving. So, I mean, if you can, if you can maintain your business and, or even start a business in this time, you'll, you'll be fine and you'll thrive in the spring and summer. Some of the biggest fortune 500 companies like Apple, Disney, all those started in a down economy. So. Sure. Sure. And and I think, uh, you know, you're diverse enough, not only in location, but in product offering that you can weather, you know, and you can maintain like you're saying. Uh, and I think that's where, that's one of the big things I preach is diversity. And I think that you, you do that to a T. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's good because when you're busy, you don't have to be as diverse, right? But you right. got to be able to, you got to be able to transition to that if you need to um, and kind of grow that way. And it's well, always, awesome. That's part of our core values is adaptability. So got to be able to adapt to the times. Well, you've you've been adapt you've been adapting since day one. It's a, it's an impressive story, my friend. From from you know how you got this thing started to what you're doing now and how awesome it is. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on. I've got Brandon Nicastro, CEO and founder of GCS Glass. See his company online. GCS Glass is the website. My friend, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I look forward to seeing you at the, the next show or event somewhere. Awesome. I appreciate being on. Thanks. All right. So there we go. Another podcast in the books. And uh, again, thank you to myglassclass.com for the sponsorship. Check them out at myglassclass.com for all the training needs that you may have uh, from the National Glass Association. The best of the best uh, on glass and glazing information and training at myglassclass.com. And as I always end the podcast with some TV uh, items, uh, a couple returning shows. And and it's very exciting. And one thing I don't understand is why are so many good shows returning right now when the weather is finally getting better in most of the country and you want to be outside? Uh, The timing's off. These things should have come out when we're all stuck inside. But anyway... Uh, Succession isn't coming back uh, any day now. Ted Lasso is back. Uh, so both are, are, are exciting. Yellow Jackets is back. Uh, on the new side, there's a new show from Kiefer Sutherland, who I loved in 24. Uh, also loved him in the, uh, the the TV show, which I can't remember now, where he was uh, the president of the United States uh, when the cabinet got blown out. Man, I can't remember what that is. Uh, designated Survivor. That's what it is. Uh, he's got a new show coming out called Rabbit Hole on Paramount+. Plus. And uh, from everything I've read and seen, that looks really good. So Rabbit Hole on Paramount Plus, that's coming out at the end of March. And also a documentary on Reggie Jackson, the great Yankee, uh, coming out on Amazon Prime. Uh, Looking forward to that. So some good things there uh, on the TV side, uh, especially for those of you who like some of the emptier calorie sort of things. Uh, You know, helps pass the time and, and some good stuff along the way. So again, thank you for joining me. Thank you to my guests, Susan, Trent, Brandon, fantastic people, great folks for this industry. Working on next month, got a few nice people lined up. Hopefully that all comes true. I plan on making that happen and we will see you then. But thank you so much for supporting and we'll see you again. Oh, the music is stopped.